Today's reading will be from Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14. Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14. And that's on page 1182. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you had for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have, heard, you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, truly, uh, heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our, our dear fellow servant, who is a fellow minister in, of Christ on our behalf, and who also told, you, told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Mark, very much indeed. And, and uh, let me welcome you again. It's great to see you. My name's Jeremy. And uh, um, I'm on the staff team here. It's a pleasure to welcome you to Trinity this afternoon, whether it's your first time or whether you've been many times before. I'm going to pray as we begin. Uh, I'd love you to keep that part of the Bible open, page 1182. And uh, if you're a praying person, then I'd love you to join me as I pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that whoever we are here in church this afternoon, uh, that if we've come to trust you, then we can say for certain that we've been rescued out of the dominion of darkness and we've been brought into the kingdom of the Son that you love. And that in Jesus, uh, we're redeemed and our sins are forgiven. And, and so, Father, I pray that as we come to the Bible, that you would transform us by the understanding that the Spirit gives. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, it's very easy, I think, uh, even if we're Christians, to uh, downgrade the stunning importance of, of Christianity. I think that's true. In our minds, just to downplay its, its significance, its importance. Um, in the world. I mean, we're, we're under massive pressure to do that uh, in our culture, in our country, in the, in the world in which we live, just, just by the prevailing mood. Uh, people in our culture assume there's no God. That's the position of neutrality in our, in our culture. And, and, and when people say that um, religious belief, of which there are many different flavors, uh, people would say in our, in our culture, when people say that religious 
relief, uh, religious belief is, is best kept out of public life, then what they mean is it's, it's that we should just keep our faith to ourselves, yeah? That it should be a private thing. And people say that Christianity, anyway, is, is no real solution to the problems that the world is facing, of which there are many, let me remind you, in case you, you know, you've forgotten. Um, COVID, the environment, energy prices, the invasion of Ukraine, the health service, double-digit inflation. And so the pressure is for us to keep our faith to ourselves if, if we're Christian people. I remember once I took a stand in the workplace about something, um, and my boss said to me, um, Jeremy, look, I'm a Christian too, I just don't let it interfere with my job. Um, that was what he said to me. He took me to one side. He was trying to be nice to me. And he said, if, if you value your reputation, you'll just keep your Christian faith to yourself. You won't let it sort of interfere with the rest of your life because that's the safest thing for you. And to be honest, it would be the nicest thing for us. And so it's very easy for us to just begin to downplay the significance of, of Christianity. And those pressures aren't new, of course. This isn't a new thing. It's been going on since, since, the, since the first century. That pressure's as, as old as Christianity itself. And so as Paul writes the book of Colossians, he's writing to a bunch of people he's never met before in, in all likelihood. It's an extraordinary thing. It's, it's, a, it's a letter written by um, a, a Jewish man. He's stuck in, in prison, and he's writing to... Uh, a, a non-Jewish church in, in modern-day Turkey. And, and we know from the end of the letter he's sending, sending this off with two people to, called uh, Tychicus and Onesimus to a, a small gathering of people meeting in someone's house. But as he writes to them, he does so to encourage them to be confident in their faith in the one that they call the Christ or the Messiah, Jesus, to make much of him in their everyday lives, to resist the pressure to minimize the gospel. But before he gets to the main point of his letter, he's going he's to get there in chapter 2. He starts off by telling them his prayers, Yeah. And so in our, in our third look at Paul's prayers this autumn, then we're going to listen in to the things that Paul's praying in Colossians chapter 1, just in case that temptation to downgrade Jesus is starting to affect our thinking. Uh, just like last week, we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about the introduction to the prayer, and then we're going to spend some time thinking about the prayer itself. Uh, and as ever, if you want to check where all this is coming from, you'll find it useful to have Colossians 1 open in front of you, page 1182. Here's the first section we're going to be looking at then. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, and we could call it something like this. The reason for prayer is thanksgiving. The reason for prayer is thanksgiving. And I say that because uh, the next verse, verse 9, begins for this reason, you see. And, 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 and the reason that he's going back to is the, is the gratitude of verses 3 to 8. His thankfulness drives his prayers, drives his requests. I mean, in some ways, that's a bit of a strange way round, don't you think? Is that, I don't know if that's ever struck you. 
because normally uh, we ask for things and then uh, we say thank you afterwards. You see what I mean? Uh, this, this seems a little bit like, like the wrong way around. Um, so oh, I've got a letter here. I found it um, not that long ago. I wrote it when I was five. Um, and uh, we, we had a, my writing actually is better uh, when I was age five than it is now, surprisingly. And um, we had a family friend called Connie Lever. Uh, we called her Auntie Lever. And, and this is my thank you, this is my thank you letter. I asked, I'd asked her, you see, for a money box for Christmas. That was my request. Uh, my, my prayer, if you like, to Connie Lever was for, a, was for a brand new money box. And then I write my thank you letter on the 26th of September. That's quite efficient, isn't it? Don't you think? Dear Auntie Lever, Thank you for the kitten money box that you gave me. I like it very much. I've already got four pence in it. Funny I kept that. That'd be worth thousands nowadays, wouldn't it? I, I was just wanting a new one because I was getting tired of my old one. Um, <laughs> get to the point, Jeremy. With lots and lots of love from Jeremy. You see, you, you sort of ask for something first. That's, that's the idea. And then you have to write these dreaded, dreaded thank you letters. But... Why does Paul lead off with the thank you? That's the question. Uh, and, and then do the asking. Why does thankfulness lead to asking? How are those two things connected? Um, well, let's look first of all at what Paul says thank you for. What's he say grateful for in verses 3 to 8? He seems quite passionate about it. Verses 3 to 8 of Colossians chapter 1. What, what, what he gives thanks for uh, you see that in verse 8. Is this, is, is this astonishing fact that when this guy called Epaphras had come to Colossae sometime earlier, then he'd come with a message. Um, we're told in the end of verse 5 that it's the true message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And so, um, verse 6, these guys in Colossae uh, had truly understood God's grace, God's undeserved kindness to them. They'd realized that that was a real thing. And so, verse 4, they'd come to faith in, in Messiah Jesus, and, and they'd come to love God's people, who they're now a part of. Uh, and, um, and in fact, this miracle in Colossae, if we can call it that, is part of something that's going on all over the world, verse 6, this sort of movement that's bearing fruit and, and growing. And, and, and that is why Paul is excited. And so he prays for this church, and he tells them that he's praying. I mean, that, that in itself challenges us, doesn't it? Um, you know, that he's so thankful in verses 3 to 8. He's so thankful. We, we can be very unthankful, very ungrateful people. There was a writer called Dostoevsky. Uh, you might have heard of him. He was around a long time ago. But um, this is what he wrote in one of his books. I believe the best definition of mankind is the ungrateful biped. And if somebody walks on two feet, uh, the best definition, that's quite, it's quite scathing, isn't it? I believe that the best definition of mankind is the ungrateful biped. We're not very good at saying thank you as a race. But it's more than that. Um, Paul is actually incredibly grateful for people that he's, he's never met and, and an event that he, he's, he didn't even witness. See, um, I find that challenging. I, I got an email this morning from uh, a place in Brussels. Uh, it's um, 
They had a graduation ceremony this morning. This is a, a, a Bible uh, training college, and it came with a photo. Those are people going into gospel ministry in a country I've hardly been to. Those people graduated this morning. Okay. Um, can I give thanks for them constantly? Yes, I can. I can. Because I believe that they've come to faith in, in, in Messiah Jesus and they've received the true message of the gospel and they've understood God's grace. And so there's been this miracle in Brussels. I mean, I wasn't there to see it. Um, but I can give great thanks for it. It's bearing fruit and growing all over the world, this gospel. Part of God's significant plan with Jesus right bang in the middle. So Paul gives thanks. That's what drives him to pray. He gives thanks. But then he does come on to his prayers in verse 9. That's our, our second point, the request in prayer, understanding. That's what he asked for, understanding. And in response to his thanks, Paul's request is that the Colossians can, could understand something. Let me read verse 9. It's quite remarkable, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's his main request, really. Uh, it sets off one of Paul's crazy long sentences. It goes on uh, from verse 9 to verse 20. Uh, one, one long, you know, the main part of our, our talk today is really on half a sentence, um, but it's quite an impressive one. But his main request is that they would understand something. Yeah, that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, maybe you come across this film, have you? Um, I'm, I'm not particularly recommending it. It's one of those um, Mel Gibson films, uh, What Women Want. It's, it's, not, it's not actually a particularly complicated plot line. Um, Mel Gibson... Uh, who I think, you know, his character would be described as a sort of slightly conceited individual. He starts to hear what women are thinking uh, and so begins to understand what women want, supposedly, in the film. And that is fair to say, humbles him, it sort of changes him. There you go, you don't need to see it now. Uh, that's um, a bit of a spoiler. But Paul's prayer is that the Colossian Christians would understand what God wants, you see? They would understand God's will, what God wants. Now, not just for you individually. Um, we, we tend to think about these things already. Um, you know, uh, should I get married? Um, should I train for ministry? Should I stay around at Trinity long term? Uh, let me tell you the answer to that is yes. Okay, just in case you were asking that question. So, but it's not just an, you know, God's individual will for you, although that's important. But what God wants in this sort of widescreen, panoramic, big view, uh, what his purposes are for the world. You know, his will that sort of underlies the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, this, this incredible plan to bring blessing across the whole world that God announces in advance to Abraham, and then that the prophets sort of restate all the nations of the world coming to sort of worship God. 
I mean, at that stage, how God was going to do it was, was a mystery. But now it's been made clear in Jesus. And, and Paul wants the Colossians to understand that they are a small part of something huge. He wants them to glimpse that. That, that, that they're seeing God's promise to bless the whole world, bearing fruit and growing all over the world. And, and, and they're just one part of this big plan that God is bringing about, long promised and now fulfilled in Jesus. It's coming about all over the world, and, and it's coming true in their little town as well. The request is, is a prayer for understanding. I mean, I imagine it's a bit like that when you're making a film. Yeah? Uh, anyone here been in a film? No, I haven't been in a film, actually. I've sort of reached the stage in life where I'm, I'm, not, I'm no longer looking for the lead part. I think I've let that one go. But maybe I could be a character actor. I think maybe I could, I could take up that role. Um, but as I understand it, and there have been people at Trinity who've been uh, in films, um, you sort of learn your part, you memorize the lines, uh, and then you turn up to a read-through, a script read-through. And then uh, everyone sits around the table and they read through the script. And then you see how your part fits in with the whole story. And so we have this sort of grand narrative of what God is up to um, in, in the world. Another part of the Bible describes it like this. It, said, um, it says in Ephesians, God has made known to us... It, it's almost ridiculous, isn't it, that God should bring us in on his plans. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That is God's plan. Yeah? It's not primarily about us. It's humbling. But we've been sort of scooped up in in this amazing plan of God to bring glory to himself by rescuing a people to belong to him. And, and so Paul wants us to understand that and to internalize it. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through, what does it say, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Well, one answer is this. I mean, it's not primarily something that you feel here in, in Colossians, so it may well fill you with incredible awe. It's about something that you see, something that you understand, something that you realize. Because the Spirit gives you a knowledge of God's truth and, and grace and, and fills you with understanding. Paul goes on to talk about that in, in the rest of Colossians. He goes on to unpack it. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says... He wants the Colossians to come to the full riches of complete understanding. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he wants them to appreciate the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 3, verse 10, he wants them being renewed in their knowledge. And that's Paul's prayer, in essence. That when um, Tychicus and, and co. walk into Philemon's house and start reading this letter from Paul to the, I don't know, what, 20 people around the room? That the Spirit would show them that they're part of something colossal. 
God's gathered people, saved by the cross, united under Christ for his glory, bringing blessing over all the world. I mean, how else are they going to withstand the pressure of their culture? The subtle pressure to sort of downgrade and privatize their faith. Because, you know, the, the more marginalized we feel in our culture, the more sort of pushed to the edges um, that we might sense that we are, the, the more we'll be tempted to go after every modern idea and every media opportunity um, that comes our way in order to feel more significant. Yeah. Um, or maybe we'll be determined to be stuck in the past, you know, keep things the way they were in the 1950s, because that, that's the way that helps us feel safe. And the only way that we'll avoid those temptations is by looking at what God is doing and, and giving thanks, praying for a knowledge of God's plans and in this sort of widescreen panoramic big view given by the Spirit who opens our eyes to this huge narrative of the heart of the universe that revolves around Jesus in which we've become involved because that will humble us and change us. And that's the final point, really. From um, verses 10 to 14, the results of prayer are life that pleases Jesus. You know, the purpose of this knowledge is not a theological decree, but a practical outcome. It, you can see that in, in verse 10. It transforms how you live. It gives you this opportunity to please the Lord in every way. Uh, Do you realize that this week? You have the opportunity, and I have the opportunity, to bring pleasure to Jesus in the things I do in the week ahead. In four ways that Paul lists. It's not exhaustive, but these are significant. Verse 10. First of all, we have the opportunity to bear fruit in every good work. You see, that, that the same word, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. You know, branches of this vine are going off to to Brussels and Timbuktu and Venezuela, you know, all over the world. But, but you and I are this sort of little twig, if I can put it like that, you know, on, on this great vine connected with Jesus, and we can bear fruit in our own situation. However we do that, just small tokens of change in our lives. Uh, an angry comment avoided, a time set aside, 10 minutes with your Bible, uh, brief conversation with a friend where you tell them that you're a Christian. Bearing fruit. And then secondly in verse 10, second of four things, growing in the knowledge of God. You see how this builds? You, know, you grow in the knowledge of God, verse 9, so you live more in a way that pleases the Lord, and so you grow in the knowledge of God. Organic growth, this sort of spiral of knowing God better and better. And then in verse 10, uh, growing stronger. Literally, do you know what it says? It says, empowered with all power according to the power of his glory. Quite emphatic, isn't it? Empowered with all power according to the power of his glory. God wants them to be so filled with God's will that the power of the glory of God will fully empower them. Not a small thing. And, and what is that power going to enable me to do well, endure and be patient. <laughs> in verse 10. Endure in, in impossible situations and be patient with impossible people. That's, um, 
That's what God's power does in me. Endure in impossible situations. Uh, last week I was uh, away with another church and I got talking to someone, a guy about my age, a Christian guy, a consultant a doctor, and he told me that his 16-year-old son had died very suddenly, unexpectedly. Um, and I asked him how he'd endured through that, how he kept going through it. Uh, and he said that he'd broken the news to his colleagues in an email. And uh, this is how he'd put it in, in the email to his colleagues, uh, telling them that, he was, that his son had, um, had died. He said, I am devastated, but not broken. That's what he said. I was, I'm devastated, but not broken. Because God's power according to the power of his glory, had empowered him to persevere, you see, somehow. And that remarkable power had in time brought him to a place of thanks to the Father. Extraordinary, isn't it? Um, he told me that he was grateful for the conversations that his email had opened up with the colleagues who'd received it. He was grateful. Um, because the suffering hadn't broken him. He, he knew, verse 12, that he'd been qualified to share in the inheritance with God's holy people, and he was certain that he, deep down, despite all of the struggle, he knew that he'd been rescued and brought into God's kingdom and redeemed. He'd been set free uh, at the payment of a price, and his sins had been forgiven, and so nothing could break him, you see. Nothing could break him. I don't know what's threatening to break you. Uh, I don't know what your fears are. Uh, we don't tend to talk very much about those uh, when we meet. But I suspect uh, that somewhere in your heart, and certainly in my heart, is the temptation to, to downplay the stunning significance of Christianity. Maybe it doesn't feel like an adequate solution to the problems that you're facing. But Paul tells the Colossian Christians about what he's praying as a, as a way of teaching them what they should be wanting for themselves, you see. That, that's, that's why he tells them his prayers. And so, before we take the Lord's Supper, there's going to be a moment of reflection, a time to think. Maybe that would be a good time to think about the rescue, the bringing in, the redemption and the forgiveness of sins, which is freely available for every single one of us at the cross. Maybe we can pray that our minds would be filled with the knowledge of his will by the Spirit, and that we would make much of Messiah Jesus. And so we would, we would start to live in a way that pleases the Lord, bearing fruit like a twig on the vine, knowing God as our friend and empowered by his power and, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has transferred us into his kingdom of light. Should we begin by praying that now? Let's pray.
Father God, I pray that we know the grand plan, this colossal power that you are putting to work, the gospel bearing fruit and growing all over the world, bringing blessing to all nations as you promised to Abraham. I pray we'd know, Father, that we play a part in that. I pray as you fill our minds with understanding so we would live a life that pleases you, that bears fruit, that grows, that knows you better, that relies on your power to enable us to to persevere. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't be broken And I pray that we wouldn't underestimate or downplay or privatize your plans. And I pray, Father, that we would know the redemption that is ours in Messiah Jesus. And so we would live out our lives in recognition of the plan from which we are benefited and the Christ that we're called to obey. And we ask in his name. Amen.